Hi, this is Stephen Laddick. And I'm Kent McPhail. Welcome to What the M, the podcast about the mortgage default servicing industry. What the M is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every other Friday. Stephen, how are you doing today? How are things up in the great white north of Pennsylvania? It is a lovely day of pouring rain, 60 mile an hour winds and 36 degrees. How's things down by you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, I can take all of that except the 36 degrees. That's that's why I live in Alabama. Yeah, we just we had a really interesting night last night. There was a big I know push of storms that came from the southwest and a lot of tornadoes and various activities. It's been kind of an active year for that, but we fared well. And so so today we're going to go a little bit different direction. And as opposed to an outside guest, I have a very special guest today, my co-host, Stephen Laddick. And what we wanted to do was give our listeners a little background about who we are, so who it, who it is you're listening to and how we ended up in the middle of the default servicing world and doing this podcast. So with that as an intro, Steve, tell me about where did you grow up, sir? I grew up in uh, North New Jersey. I grew up in a little town called Chatham, New Jersey, which is about 23 miles from New York City. Still get back there. Love it up there. My grandparents ran the diner on Main Street there in Chatham for 22 years. So that's home. How big is Chatham? How many people? Yeah, I don't think it's more than 12,000 people. Tiny. It's a small town. It's a small town uh, right on the train line direct into uh, New York City. It's uh, in Morris County. It's a lot more congested than I remember. When I I go back now, the traffic's a lot worse than I remember. So... Town of twelve thousand with with your grandparents running the diner that probably made you royalty in town where where people went for dinner I assume so yeah it was always nice a lot of people knew my grandparents so where did you end up going to undergraduate school well I did have a very sophisticated strategy of picking colleges I wanted to go somewhere where they would win the national championship so I applied to Penn State for football and Duke in North Carolina for basketball. And I made the right call. I went to Penn State. In my sophomore year, they won the national championship. So what did you major in at Penn State? Uh, basically, political science and minored in history and business and uh, realized I uh, wanted to focus on the law. I had a couple of terrific professors at Penn State that did introductions to law, business law and constitutional law. And uh, my advisor in my major was just a phenomenal constitutional law teacher. Really, really, you know, you can say teachers have an impact. He did. He certainly prepared me for a lot of the thoughts and the concepts of law school and how to succeed in law school. You know, that's so true. When I look back uh, in terms of like people that really had an imprint on my life, there's two professors, an economics professor at Southern Miss and a particular law professor at University of Mississippi that definitely were some of those people that were instrumental in my life. So when you went to Penn State and you majored in political science, did you already know that you were planning on having a career in law or is that something you kind of grew into there? Oh, no, no. I started out in pre-political science, otherwise known as computer science. My father was a mechanical engineer, and I always grew up in a very math and science and was very strong in that in high school somehow ended up after a year in uh, Penn State, just gravitated towards the history and the political science side of things. So after you got out of Penn State, where did you decide to go to law school? 
That's a good question, because at the time, Penn State did not have a law school. It's hard to believe your state university would not have a law school, but it didn't back then. So Widener University was opening a brand new law school in Pennsylvania in, in Harrisburg, which is about 90 miles from where Penn State is. And it was also a good place to live since my father was out there for work a lot with his career. So I ended up, it was, it was the only law school I applied to. So I applied and got in and uh, went to law school in Harrisburg. And that's where I got to begin my legal career. Well, yeah, tell me about that. So what, in terms of beginning your legal career, what was your first job when you got out of law school? was actually I uh, got my first job in my first year of law school. On campus, I got to interview with some folks from uh, the Public Protection Division of the Office of Attorney General and interviewed with a gentleman who became my absolute mentor and to this day is the best trial attorney I've ever seen. And he taught me more than than anything. And I started working there in the Office of Attorney General in May, right after my first year of law school ended. And I stayed through law school. And when I graduated uh, and passed the bar, became a deputy attorney general, starting there in the Bureau of Consumer Protection in Harrisburg. And ended up in a few years working my way up and became the head of the Bureau of Consumer Protection office in Pennsylvania in Harrisburg. So that's, that must have been pretty nice coming straight out of law school and having, having a job waiting on you. I know uh, a lot of folks are fortunate enough to have that and it sounds like a, like a great transition. So after you were there, what, how did you transition from the, that side of law into the default servicing world or were there some interim positions between those? Part of working in the office of attorney general, I was lucky enough as a young lawyer to be able to participate on multi-state litigation being run, you know, basically by a bunch of attorneys general in the National Association of Attorneys General. And and at that time, it was a time of recession and it was a time of spike in foreclosures. Uh, there was a lot of unemployment at that time in Pennsylvania. It was a time when a lot of the steel mills shut down. There were a lot of coal mines shutting down and very high unemployment. And what happens with high unemployment? You have an uptick in foreclosures. And with that uptick, you had a lot more of activity and a lot more scrutiny by an attorney general's office. That's what we did. And that's what they still do. That's how I began in lending law enforcement, handling UDAP cases, handling fair debt, truth in lending, RESPA. We did all those and did them all on a multi-state basis. It's also where I got my background in uh, bankruptcy. You know, I had the magic touch at the attorney general's office in that every single company I sued filed bankruptcy. So. I, we started out, you know, and I was the the office of attorney Buyers general. Buyers beware. Well, the office of attorney general. It's interesting at that time when somebody filed bankruptcy, they didn't really walk across the street to the bankruptcy court and start pursuing it. And I was I was like, well, why not? Why aren't we doing that? Let's see what we can do. And we got involved in chapter 11s. We got involved in chapter sevens where we started bringing cases for non-dischargeability. We In the chapter 11s, we were able to successfully get through some of the plans, money back for consumers that had been ripped off. And uh, so simultaneously, I was learning all about UDAP, truth in lending, fair debt, but also getting aspects of all the chapters of bankruptcy. So when I left the attorney general's office, I went into private practice in a firm that had a creditor's rights division, and it was just a nice natural fit. With the regulatory background, the enforcement background, and knowing the bankruptcy to transition into a side of representing lenders, mortgage companies, banks, servicers, and the like in defense work and regulatory work, and also 
that's how I really began doing foreclosure work as well. You know, in the sports vernacular, the good offense is a good defense or vice versa. So it sounded like uh, the attorney general's office was a great learning ground for you and, and a great transition into the default servicing world. It absolutely is. A lot of excellent, dedicated employees in the office of attorney general. And there is a lot of people still there today that I worked with over 25 years ago that are that dedicated to the office and some very, very good lawyers. And the mentors and bosses I had there are some of the best lawyers I've known in my 30-year career. They are just excellent, excellent attorneys that passed along not just the skills in the subject matter, but the trial skills and evidence skills and using the rules and writing. That stuff has been useful far beyond what I ever would imagine at the time. It's very interesting how different points in your career, at least for me, I would be involved in things that I was like, how is this ever going to benefit me? And then, you know, in retrospect, 25, 30 years later, I look back and, you know, how things were extremely beneficial that, again, you just didn't expect would be. So several times you and I both have sort of talked about our law firms a little bit and what we do, but let's dig in a little deeper. Tell tell our listeners uh, about your law firm and where you guys practice and what type of law you practice. And yeah, just a little background there. Sure. Our firm, it's known as Laddick, Honorado and Fetterman. From my first firm I was in, I went on to work at another firm which specialized in foreclosure and became a managing attorney there. But I wanted to continue to grow and I wanted the challenge of complex litigation while also doing default work. So I actually opened my own firm in 2003. Someone was looking over me or somehow it just worked out or maybe it's quality work, maybe it's uh, somebody positively looking over your shoulder, but I grew so fast that I needed additional space and I needed additional staff. And uh, I was friendly with a a local attorney. He and I had done a lot of stuff, a lot of municipal type work together in addition to default work. And he said, well, why don't you come join our firm? So I actually merged my, my individual practice into this firm and it's changed over time and its name's have changed, but it's now Laddick, Honorado and Fetterman. And I've been here Next next spring will be 20 years, so the time sure flies, but it's an excellent mix that we have at our firm. All of our lawyers are trial attorneys. All of them can try a case. All of them can try a complex defense case or a complex plaintiff's case. You know, Our attorneys are well-versed and can handle anything on the default side, but we also handle personal injury. We have extensive municipal law practice. Uh, we have extensive real estate litigation practice, title and an estate planning and an estate administration practice. And you'd be surprised. It's interesting how, while they may sound very diverse and different in names of types of practice, the overlap is 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 amazing in that we've handled condemnation cases for servicers. You'd be surprised how many servicers don't get involved when they get a notice of condemnation. Well, why not? You can get in there and challenge the valuation of the property and get that servicer more money. And a lot of servicers don't realize that. That's where the municipal background comes in and knowing how to do a a petition for a board of view and getting an appraisal and getting an assessment to get your client more money. The personal injury side has come in. We've defended servicers that have been sued were on slip and falls in their REOs. You know, the estate administration comes in all the time, having that knowledge and that background where we, we're dealing now on the default side with a lot of borrowers who have passed away. 
So the real estate transactional practice and real estate litigation, stuff like that comes up all the time. So it's a really nice mix and a nice overlap of where attorneys can handle all kinds of different matters. Anything that comes across the servicer's desk from a regulatory inquiry from the state. To uh, to uh, being sued or to be have to sue others. So, so let me ask you this: how how many lawyers do you guys have, and what all states are you located in? Yeah, we have offices right now: in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, with a few to come online. We have an office and an affiliate in Puerto Rico, and we have enough attorneys these days that I start to forget how many we actually have, whether it's twelve or fourteen, but. Uh, we do have a, a pretty sizable group, and we're we're really looking forward to 2023 and, and growing that further and expanding into other states as well. You know, it's been 2022 has been very good for the firm, and very appreciative of all the work that we've been given by our clients. And uh, we you know we're driven. I I tell all of our staff and all of our attorneys, our goal is very simple here: it's to to be the best at what we do. Set the bar high. That's where the bar is. And do your best to zealously represent your client. You know, every case, every file, even a foreclosure needs a separate set of eyes with an attorney to take a close look at. Anyone can do a basic foreclosure, but, you know, take a close look at it. What can you do to cut time? What can you do to make it more efficient for your client? How can you make it faster? You know, that's what we're driven to find ways. How can you make it better? How can you make it more efficient and more timely because, hey, I get it from our clients. Every day is money out of their pockets. So what can we do to make it easier, efficient, and faster for them? Absolutely. You know, that, that kind of leads into my next question. We, you know, we all typically have philosophies, uh, you know, or codes that we live by in terms of our, our personal lives. Does your firm have a similar philosophy or code that, that you guys choose to practice by? Well, I think I pretty much just said it. It's the set the bar high. Our goal every day is to be the best at what we do. And everything is driven off of that. What can you do? And I've said this several times. What can you do to make it more efficient? What can you do to make it better quality? How can you use technology to make your things more efficient or make your faster? How can you communicate better? Communication is everything. You know, the number one complaint against attorneys with ethics boards it's universal in every state. The number one complaint against attorneys is lack of communication, that they don't get back to their clients. So that's the number one thing you know, that we always have to stress here, too, is responsiveness, timely responsiveness. If a client is calling me directly and asking me for status of a file, that's a problem. We should have been proactively telling that client what the status was. That client shouldn't have to pick up the phone and ask us. Oh, absolutely. I have one employee in particular that that tries to time their statuses to clients roughly like two to three days before they are. There's an anticipated question. That's great. And that, makes, but anyway, that makes everyone's life easier, your side and the client's side. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on to some more personal side questions. So what what is it that you do for fun? What is it that uh, makes you happy? What do you like to do when you're not jetting around to your different offices <laughs> and practicing law. I do like to travel, but uh, I am a college football fanatic, as many people know, and uh, go to a college football game almost every Saturday in the fall, whether it's Michigan, whether it's Penn State, whether it's Temple University, and a few other road games in between. But, 
Yeah, I'm going to try to get you down to a University of Southern Mississippi game this next year. We do all of the home games and have a big tailgating thing. In fact, we actually have a bowl game that's going to be in Mobile where I live. So I'm going to be commuting up the whole 20 minutes to that game day after tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I mean, you know, the players, we've had several tough years, so it's nice for them to get an opportunity to flex a little bit and, you know, get all of the swag associated with those. And so it's, it's good for the team, good for the morale. Next question, which I've not asked previous guests, but who are your heroes or do you have a hero? Ah, that's easy. My dad. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> it's a, that's a mic drop there for sure. Uh, you know, uh, a lot tell me a little bit you about know, your father. A lot of people have heroes of baseball players, you know, or athletes or the like, but my father has just been a role model since day one of dedication and hard work. The amount of stuff he has done, his travel of this country and his love for traveling of the country and to be an engineer, plus also get your master's in business and just continue your education. It was always education, education. He's still, he's 84 years old and still takes two classes a semester at the local community college just to keep his mind active. Man, I bet he's a celebrity on campus. That's, that's awesome. It's amazing. When he walks into class, though, the students think he's the professor. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, and you know the wrap-up question always, which is, if Stephen Laddick could sit down with the 20-year-old version of Stephen Laddick, what advice would you give that young man? You know, it's funny. We ask this of every guest, and I'm always intrigued by their answers. And I never realized how hard it is to actually answer this question. <laughs> you know? 20-year-old self? I don't know. I, You know, I was 20 years old. I was at Penn State. I would tell myself, get more involved in different activities at the university. Go out, do more, spend time in more clubs. I, I was active at Penn State, but I would say do more, broaden your horizons, get into a few more clubs and, you know, maximize your college experience. Go see and do as much as you can while you're there. You don't realize when you're at college and you're also working and you're trying to make your tuition and all. You don't realize how fast those four years go by and how fleeting it is. So I would say go experience, do more at college, join things, go see more, things like that. You know, those are four incredibly formative years in everybody's lives. And when you look back and, you know, we've been out for 35 years, whatever, and it just seems like such a drop in a bucket, despite the fact of how formative they, those years were or are. It goes by fast, but the friendships you make, I mean, I, I talk to my friends from Penn State every day, literally every day. You don't realize those lifelong bonds you, you're making when you're 17, 18 years old, that you're all all still together, which is a good thing. So. Oh, that's great. Well, my family would joke about me being academically gifted, being able to cram four years of college into five. So I, I did ride all the rides and probably got a little more involved than I needed to. But hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm getting by. So. My, my, father said, well, uh, my father said, take as long as you want in college. I'll help you for four years. <laughs> I love that. My youngest is a senior. He's got one more semester at the University of Southern Mississippi, and I've always had a different approach. I'm like, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Do well in your classes. And, you know, and he's very excited you know, that he's about to be out. And of course, I'm very proud of him. And I've really enjoyed this. You know, you and I have had dinner together. We've had drinks together. We've done the podcast together. But you know, we've not sat down that often and just asked these sorts of personal questions. And 
Uh, it's a pleasure hearing about your dad and hearing about where you grew up. Anyway, I'm certainly enjoying the podcast and enjoying getting to do it with you and appreciate you. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Truly appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for all the questions. It's always good to talk a little bit. I'm used to being the person that asks the questions, but uh, it's enjoyable. I appreciate this. And just to the listeners out there, happy holidays. We truly appreciate all the listeners and how the show has grown. And uh, it's really great to hear the feedback from people that are out there listening. And uh, as we go into 2023 with this podcast, please you know, reach out to us. Any topics you want to hear related to what's going on in the default servicing industry, please let us know. You know, we're, we're excited to get into 2023 with a whole new slate of guests and slate of topics. And I second everything that Steve said, and you guys have a great day and we'll be talking soon. If you like what you hear on our podcast and want to hear some more, please rate, review, and subscribe to What the M on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to visit with us on social media, we can be found at What the M Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.